It is good to see you. If you are visiting Northview for the very first time, welcome to Northview. My name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors here. And for those who are watching online, a very warm welcome to you. Those who are in our various campuses as well, starting with Real Life out in Surrey, where I spend most of my time. Shout out to you all, all of you out there for the ones at Central, East, and Mission. Um, yeah, it's great to have you join us. Uh, we are in our Go Weekend. This is our Go Weekend. And I'll unpack a little bit about uh, what we mean by Go Weekend. But before I start, how about we just bow our heads together. Uh, let me pray and then I invite the Spirit of God to speak to us and then we'll jump into the Word together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness toward us. Thank you for the opportunity You've given us to sing, to worship you, Lord, to fellowship with our brothers and sisters, and also to settle our hearts here to hear your word. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as I speak the word that you have placed on my heart to share this weekend, we pray, dear Lord, that you would use this word to move your church, to inspire your people to be the kind of disciples you want them to be. So I pray this day, Father, would you accomplish your purposes through the preaching of your word. Commend ourselves now to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this just so happens to be Pentecost weekend. So in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus tells his disciples, this is before his ascension, Jesus will tell his disciples, you know, um, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But now the disciples had to wait until the Spirit of God would come upon them. And so we come into Acts chapter 2 and there you will see the disciples are in an upper room and many Jews from many parts of the world would have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so it was during this celebration that, and, and the, the uh, disciples are in the upper room when the Spirit of God was poured out on the disciples and he came in forms of tongues of fire and he came and rested upon them. And so the disciples now leave the upper room and go into the streets where all these Jews from other parts of the world had come to celebrate the Passover and the disciples of Jesus begin to share, they begin to proclaim the gospel. So it is very interesting, God by his providence, we had planned that this go weekend would be um, last weekend, but there was a few things that made us postpone it to this weekend, and it just so happened that this weekend is Pentecost weekend, and how fitting for us to spend some time talking about what it actually means to go to go make disciples. And that is basically the premise of the video you just saw a few moments ago here, where you have ordinary people just living ordinary lives in, in our community who have now chosen to go. By that I mean to proclaim Christ, to look for opportunities where they can speak the gospel and share the gospel with those whom God puts in their way. Now here at Northview, one of the things that we do here is to disciple um, God's people. And we have a discipleship pathway 
that we follow in very simple language. So if you come to Northview and you say, hey, what does discipleship look like? How can I grow in my faith in Jesus? There's a pathway that we have. We, we call this, we have labels for the pathway, you know, gather, grow, and go. So when we say gather, what we mean by gather is healthy disciples intentionally gather in communities to worship. So the first thing would invite someone and encourage someone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus is to come and gather. Come and gather. Come to the worship service. On a weekend, make sure you're going to church, whether you're here in, 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 in our area, in our community. So for those, for those of us here in Abbotsford, you're coming to church here at Downs Road or in East Abbotsford, Central Abbotsford. For those in Mission, you're going to our Mission campus. For those in Surrey, you're going to our New Life, uh, Real Life uh, campus there. You're gathering together in the community of God's people to worship God. We gather. Second, Healthy disciples grow in their knowledge of God and in their relationship with Jesus. So healthy disciples will grow. So the question then is, how do we grow? We grow by engaging, by being involved in the ministries of our church. So for example, you're in a community group or you're engaging the men's group or the women's Bible study, precept study. We have all sorts of theology programs and all sorts of programs where you can grow and deepen your faith. Now, not all programs are available in all our campuses, that's for sure. But our goal is, over time, many of these programs will be available in all our campuses where individuals can actually grow in grace and in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So we believe that healthy disciples grow in their knowledge of God and their relationship to Jesus. Finally, healthy disciples go and they make more disciples. Healthy, healthy disciples go and make more healthy disciples. And that is basically what we are talking about here today and hence the video that you watch. That video is basically an illustration, like I said before, where ordinary people, ordinary members of our church, are intentional about being witnesses. Intentional about being witnesses in their community. Basically obeying the great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, when Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus is not just talking to pastors. He's not just talking to evangelists. He's not just talking to the apostles. He's saying to all of us, everyone who bears the name of Christ, anyone who's called Christian, Jesus is speaking to all of us saying, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Here's a question for you. Are you going? Are you going? Are you being obedient to the call of your Lord and my Lord to actually obediently go and make other disciples? Or have we assumed that the going is meant for the special ones, those who are now missionaries in other parts of the world? The scriptures call us to go, and today's passage will give us two compelling reasons. The passage today will give us two very compelling reasons as to why we should go and make disciples. The passage is Romans chapter 10, so we want, if you have a Bible, you want to go there. Romans chapter 10, 
verse 12 to 15. Now, just a preamble here. In Romans 9 all the way to Romans 11, Paul has a very heavy burden for the unsaved people group, uh, the unsaved Israelites. So he was a Jew, and he knew that not all Jews are Christian. In fact, many of them weren't Christian. So he has a heavy burden for them. And so he's going to interact with the gospel and how the gospel applies to the Jew just the same way it'll apply to you. And so we're going to zero in on this discourse, looking at verse 12 to 15 of what Paul is talking about here. How do we reach the unreached? How do people become Christians? And in his case, how do my people, the Jews, become Christian? And for all of us here, how do our people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, if you're in Mission, people there, Abbotsford, people here, or in Surrey, people there, how do people in our communities become Christian? So let's read Romans chapter 10, verse 12 to 15, and then we'll unpack these two compelling reasons why we should go. So Paul writes, verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach? Good news. There ends the reading of God's word. So two compelling reasons. Number one, the gospel brings salvation to all people. The gospel of Jesus brings salvation to all people. So many of us who are seated in this room and those watching who are Christian, you heard the gospel at one point or another. And when you heard the gospel, you responded to it. And you became a Christian, regardless of your background, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your education. You heard the gospel at one point and you became a Christian. The gospel brings salvation to all peoples, and I put the S there on peoples to say every nation, tribe, and tongue. All peoples. The gospel will bring salvation to all peoples. Even the most unlikely people will become Christians. So here's a very interesting story. There's a, there's a band that is still around today, but man, that band was doing remarkable, like playing remarkable, it was a big, big, big band. Um, around, say, the late 90s into the early 2000s. Now, they popularized a musical genre called new metal. And not everybody liked new metal. In fact, many people hated new metal. And it was, so it is basically, um, some of you know um, hard rock metal. And the guitar is going and things like that, right? So there's a band called Korn. And they, yeah, some of, there's some people who listen to Cornville. <laughs> so this band, uh, their, their concerts, they would have Christians who might go, some Christians from different churches would go there with signs saying this is Satan's music. Because if you saw the band members, the, 
face painting and multiple piercings and their hair and their eyes and they're all high. And so they're playing this music, it is loud, it is noise. And they may call it organized noise, but whatever. And so they're loud and it's just crazy. They sing as though possessed by demons. And so they're going, this is this band Korn. So we are talking around 2003, 2004. One of their leading band members. And they're making money. They're selling like all of 40 million albums sold. Like they have money. So one of their leading members decided to, you know, make more money and invest some of the money because he was so, money was his idol. And so he decides that, hey, you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invest. So he got into a group of investors, they bought a piece of property, and this group of investors, literally this guy knew that these investors were Christian. And then so they're having this conversation and this, this um, investors kind of tell these buddies of his now, new buddies, tell him, dude, you should come to church with us on Sunday. And he's like, what? Because all his life, like he would be flipping through channels and he comes to the Christian channel and he would mock Christianity. And so now when this co-investors are telling him, hey, come to church with us, this guy is high on crystal meth. And he says, okay, fine, he'll go to church. And his high is now coming off of his crystal meth high. And he's in church seated with his hair crazy and the way he looks is scary. And as the preacher is preaching, guess what happens? The Spirit of God begins to move in this man's heart. And something is stirring within him. He leaves the service knowing he's not the same guy who walked in. He goes home and he prays all night. And this man becomes a Christian. He abandons the band now. His name is Brian Welch. And people call him Head. And he became a Christian. And if you saw him, he is not your poster boy Christian church guy. You look at him, you're kind of scared of him. But he heard the gospel proclaimed. And this man becomes a Christian. The most unlikely person you would think. At this height of his uh, Professional career as a musician, making money left, right, and center, selling out stadiums with this crazy music. The most unlikely individual in the gospel comes and softens him. He meets Jesus. Just the same way the apostle Paul, who was basically a terrorist on the road to Damascus with orders in his hands to terrorize Christians, if not kill them. And he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus that totally transforms his life. Not only that, in, um, in 20, this, around December 20, uh, 2010, there was this Arab Spring Revolution that began in Tunisia. And so there was a lot of uh, anti-government protests, a lot of uprisings, a lot of armed uh, rebellion all across the Arab world. And in Egypt in particular, there was significant uprising there. And so many churches thought, oh, with this revolution, maybe Christians are going to receive more rights and freedoms to practice their faith. Oh no, 
If anything, a lot of radicalized groups came in to take on power because there was a power vacuum there. So guess what? There was significant persecution against Christians. And yet, during that time, so many Egyptians who were Muslim became Christians. Why? Because the Christians who were being persecuted decided to do what? Rather than cower, they went and did what? Proclaimed Jesus, and as Jesus was being proclaimed in the midst or in the shadow of significant persecution and revolution and turmoil and upheaval, the gospel was proclaimed and people came to saving faith. See, I've traveled to many places to South Asia, to the Middle East, to Africa. And all these trips had something to do with church planting. And every time in every place I would go, I would have this band of Christians who would share their testimony and how they came to know Jesus. Many with turbans, many from all sorts of backgrounds, worshiping other gods. And they begin to share how they encountered the Lord Jesus. And how did they, how did they encounter? Maybe it, they, they saw him in a dream to begin with. And then one thing led to another. There was a Christian whom the Lord brought to them. And the Christian did what? The Christian proclaimed Jesus. And this salvation that we proclaim on a week in, week out, moves this person. And Christ drew them in. The point I'm making here is simple. The gospel brings salvation to all people, including the most unlikely of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, including you. The gospel brings salvation. So this should be a compelling reason why we should go. When you go and you share this message, salvation comes. It's not you who saves. It's not me who saves. That's why Paul will write in verse 12, coming into 13, therefore there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord, who was the Lord of the Jews, is Lord of all. So even those who do not believe in Jesus, even those who at this day are busy mocking the gospel and mocking the church, and ridiculing you for believing in Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is their Lord. They just don't know yet. They just don't acknowledge him yet. But Jesus said, one day we'll come back and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And when he comes, he will bestow riches on all who call on him. What are these riches? Are we talking about financial uh, gain here? Are we talking about money? He will increase your net worth. No, the riches we are talking about here will be he will lavish his grace and forgiveness and give eternal life to those who call on him. And my goodness, the glory of receiving eternal life and forgiveness of sin, remarkable. Be true for Brian Welsh, true for our Punjabi brothers and sisters who are coming to faith, true for our Muslim brothers and sisters who are coming to faith, and true for you. And it can be true for your neighbor, can be true for your family member, can be true to your coworker who does not know Jesus.
The gospel of Jesus Christ brings salvation to all people. Second, the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be proclaimed to all peoples. The gospel of Jesus not only brings salvation, but this gospel needs to be proclaimed. It has to be proclaimed. So here's a quick little story. I met with a friend of mine who was telling me how um, I'd visited him at his house, and he was telling me about his neighbors and things like that. And so he's talking about one particular neighbor who was a very nice guy. Him and his wife, this is their life and all that, and he was telling me this and that about the neighbor. How the neighbor was a nice guy. He'd help, he'd help everyone, and the wife would help everyone in the community, in their, in their, in their street there. But then I asked the question, so um, is this neighbor a Christian? The guy said, man, if this, neighbor, if, if this guy was a Christian, he would be a very nice Christian, but he's not. So I asked my friend, so have you shared the gospel with him? Have you had an opportunity to tell him about Jesus? And my friend said, ah, no, I haven't. You know what I've tried to do is I try to live the gospel. And by the way, let me just pause and say there is no such thing as you and I living the gospel. Jesus is the one who did that. Uh, you and I live out the implications of the gospel. Jesus is the only one who lived the gospel. We live the implications. So what he's saying is he's now living the implications of the gospel. So what does he do? Hey, you know, he will help mow the lawn. Or you know what? When you take your garbage to the curb, and let's say where you live, there are raccoons there. So the raccoons will come and push over the garbage can, and all your garbage is all over the street in the morning. You wake up, and now your neighbors are wondering, ah, you still have some moldy work there? Like, that's from your fridge. It never happens in my house, by the way. Just saying. So he would clean up the garbage for, for the neighbor if the raccoons like toppled over or, or, or like dropped the, the, the garbage can. Or he'd invite his neighbor over for some appies and they would watch a game. He was very helpful. Being very nice and very Christian to the neighbor, but he never ended up sharing the gospel, the question is why? And the same question be asked to many of us. Why is it that we don't share the faith, our faith with our non-Christian neighbors, co-workers, and friends? Why is it? And maybe because, hey, you know, you assume that your neighbor co-worker has their own faith. And maybe it's visible that they actually have their own faith. So you're choosing, you know what? Because they have their own faith, I don't want to bother them or I don't want to offend them. Maybe I don't want to, to make this good relationship awkward when I now share the gospel. So it's just better for me to kind of like live out the implications of the gospel and hope that as I live my life this way, this individual will come to saving faith. Well, listen to our passage again. Paul will ask in verse 14, how then will they call on him? How will they, the non-Christian friend, family, co-worker, how will they call on him, call on Christ, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? They've never heard the gospel. And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And the word preaching is to to, to herald, to proclaim. How are they to know if you don't proclaim? How are they to preach unless they are sent? And we'll talk about that in a minute. What it means to be sent. How is this neighbor, how are they going to know? How are they going to call upon him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never 
heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or without someone proclaiming? How? Do you know there's so many people around the world today who don't know the gospel? They have never interacted with the gospel ever. How will they enter eternity? How are they to know? Now, let's, let's not go too far. Let's just come right here in Abbotsford. There's a number of years ago, we had a, a prayer night here at you know, Abbotsford a campus here. And I know the same is true in Surrey and in Mission as well. We had a prayer night here. And so after the prayer night, we had uh, rented a bus and a whole bunch of us jumped in on that bus and we drove to various points within our city. And then anyone who worked or had a connection with that part of the city would tell us how we pray for that particular place. So this bus got onto um, the uh, UFV, the University of Fraser Valley campus. And so the bus stopped there and we all got off. And there was one lady in that bus who had been a student at that school. And so she was just sharing, giving us pointers in how we ought to pray for that place. And what she said was shocked all of us who were in the bus. She said, could you believe that there are people, students who live in our city, in Abbotsford here, who have never, never heard the gospel, ever. The same will be true in Surrey. The same will be true in Mission. There are people who were born in Canada. These are not immigrants. These are people who were born in our local hospitals, in our town, who have never, ever, ever heard the gospel, ever. They might have heard the name of Jesus in a swear word. But they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what he came to do. They don't know the, the salvation that is theirs. None. And they live here in Canada. Maybe our neighbors. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How will they believe if they've never heard? There's a lady by the name of Kirsten Powers. And Kirsten is a, um, she's a political analyst. You will see her on CNN regularly. So if you have CNN, you could maybe see her during the week. Uh, Kirsten is a Christian. There's an article about her in Christianity Today. The title of the article is Becoming a Christian Ruined My Love for Christmas. Becoming a Christian ruined my love for Christmas. A very interesting article on Christianity Today. A story of this lady who's a political analyst. And basically she grew up in a family that was kind of Christian-ish. Mom and dad got divorced. Mom feminist and dad just a regular dude. So she would bounce in both homes over Christmas. So she was very excited to go to dad's house because she'll get gifts. And then Christmas morning and then Christmas afternoon she'd go to mom's. And there'll be more gifts. And so her and her brother loved Christmas. But then she grew older and Christianity was kind of like, yeah, I kind of believe, but not really. 
I'm kind of affiliated, but not so much. Dad professes faith, mom doesn't. And so she comes to college, and she has this crisis of faith based on what she's learning in college. And so she calls her dad to actually ask her dad, is Christianity really true? And dad was having a crisis of faith, and dad said, you know what? To be honest with you, I really don't know. Maybe not. And so she was like horrified, and one thing led to another, and she walked away, and she began to ridicule Christianity, said no to it. And then she was now dating different people and so on, and her friends are trying to put her into dates with other people. But then, at the end of the day, she finds this young man, and he's a wonderful young man. They go on several dates. But one of her her, um, her, her rules were, yeah, the guy I'm supposed to date cannot be a religious guy. I don't want that religious nonsense, she said. Well, this guy said, you know what? Uh, I am actually a Christian, and maybe you should consider coming to church with me. Because I can't marry you if you're not a Christian. She was horrified. But because she, but because she, um, she had a lot of respect for this guy, she said, okay, fine. So she goes to church, and this is in New York. And the pastor who was there is uh, Tim Clausen. Uh, not Tim Clausen. <laughs> Tim Keller. Not Tim Clausen. Tim Keller. So Timothy Keller was the pastor of, this, of, of a church, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York. And Kirsten sat there and listened to Tim every week. And all of a sudden, her defeater beliefs were challenged. And the more she tried to shake this Christian thing, she couldn't. Because the evidence was now becoming more and more overwhelming that the gospels are true. So she went to Japan, and when she got there, something happened between her and her boyfriend. They broke up, and she was still traumatized. She comes back home. She goes to a community group, and there she hears the gospel again, and she walked out of this group and recognized, you know what? I have to surrender. I have to surrender. Why? The gospels are truth, and Kirsten became a Christian. She's still a political analyst. She writes for the Washington Post. Brilliant girl who met Jesus tried to shake him. You cannot shake this one. It wasn't just her. If you've been coming to North or listening to our sermons a lot, you will, you will be familiar with this name, Rosaria Butterfield. And Rosaria Butterfield was an English professor in the University of Syracuse. She was an English professor and a professor of women's studies. And she also writes a very, very compelling and interesting article again on Christianity Today. And her article is titled, My uh, My Train Wreck Conversion. My Train Wreck Conversion. It's worth the read. So you can just Google it on Christianity Today. Search it. Again, My Train Wreck Conversion by Rosaria Butterfield. And so she tells her story about how she was this prof. She was a left, um, she was a leftist, a feminist uh, woman who was totally against all things Christian. Totally against all things Christian. But what she decided to do, what she decided to do was she was going to now challenge Christianity. And she wrote an article in the local paper. And so different responses came, and this article was scathing against Christianity. And so as she wrote, she received a lot of uh, responses, people for and against, and she had a pile, uh, the hate mail and love mail. 
And she received one letter and she didn't know where to put it because it was from a Christian gentleman called Ken Smith. And Ken just begun to challenge her presuppositions, not in a way that was offensive, but just asked ask her to think a little deeper. She threw it in the garbage, but in the, in the evening she just kept thinking about this letter, she brought it back, chose to respond, Ken invited her over to his house, and they began a friendship. And this friendship, they would talk about all sorts of things, including Christianity, and Ken continued to share the gospel among other conversations that they had in his own with this woman who there is no way he would be seated with this leftist lesbian professor of English and women's studies. But he invited her over and she obliged. And one conversation led to another, and then she quickly learned that Ken was also a pastor, so he invited her to come to a church. He came to church, he preached the gospel some, but a lot of work was done in Ken's kitchen table with her seated there. And she would um, introduce him to many of her friends too, who shared the same view as her. And she began reading the Bible, and one of her friends came to her and said, you do realize the more you're reading the Bible, it is changing you, Rosaria. It is changing you. And she said, but what if it is true? She could not shake the weight of the the, the gospel and the, the, the gospel truth. She became a Christian. Phenomenal article that I'd recommend for you to read. Again, My Trainwreck Conversion by Rosaria Butterfield. You'll find it on Christianity today. Remarkable stories. Now, these two women, Kirsten Powers, um, Rosaria Butterfield, how did they come to faith? Because the gospel was proclaimed, one in church where the pastor proclaimed the gospel, and another where she was invited and sat around the kitchen table. The point here being, the voice of God is heard, his extended hands are seen, and his patience is known when we, God's people, open our mouths. When we open our mouths and we proclaim, we implore people to be reconciled to God. The voice of God is heard, his extended hands are seen, and his patience is known when we open our mouths and we proclaim the gospel, imploring people to be reconciled to God. When people hear the gospel, when they are hearing the gospel that you're proclaiming, in that gospel they begin to hear the voice of Christ calling them, drawing them, inviting them into relationship. Now, It is worth mentioning that effective messengers of the gospel are the ones who are sent by God. That is why this passage will say, but how will they preach? How will they proclaim unless they are sent is what the scriptures will say. Now you may sit there and say, you know what? Maybe I'm not sent. So because I'm not sent, you know what? I'm not gonna say anything. Because I'm not sent, I'm not gonna say much. But well, let me just say, no, 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 don't say that you are not sent. If anything, I'd rather you would say, and I would say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Now, of course, there is this divine calling. There is this sending that is more official and vocational, like for me as a pastor. There is this calling, yeah, the Lord called me to be a pastor. And therefore... The prayer would be then, 
Lord, would you send me to unreached people groups? And so you'll find people going to global missions. Let me pause here and say, those in this room and those who are listening online here and those watching the video, I would say there are people listening and watching among us whom the Lord is calling to global missions. There are people here who God is calling you to global missions and you know it. We had a young couple who left for Thailand. Their names, Caleb and Raquel. And they're on our stage right here. And we prayed for them before they left to go to Thailand, to an unreached people group, to proclaim Jesus. And we have so many other missionaries whom the Lord has sent. Say, Lord, send me to, people, uh, to, to the unreached people groups on a vocational sense, or there are people whom among our, in our midst who God has called vocationally to urban ministries right here in Canada. So there'll be those who are called to church ministry. Yes, you might be a professional, you might be a nurse, a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, whatever you are. In fact, one of our Immerse students, once we have a program here at Northview called the Immerse Program, it is a graduate level program. It's a seminary program sponsored through a Northwest Baptist Seminary at Trinity Western University. And students do a, a master's degree of divinity, master of divinity here at Northview studying. One of our students, Eric Heath, was a practicing lawyer here in, here in our town. Successful practice, 10 years. And while coming to church and listening to the gospel and going to practice law, he felt the call of God saying, you know, Eric, yeah, you're a great lawyer, but uh, law is not what I meant to, for you to do. You need to be a pastor. You need to serve in the local body. What did Eric do? Close up shop. And now he's a student. There are many Eric's among us. The Lord may be calling you to vocational ministry or to church planting, or to, to become a local missionary working with various local agencies in our midst. So do not say to yourself, do not send me, Lord. Say, Lord, here I am, send me. The Lord may call you to vocational ministry, but there are also some spontaneous, occasional callings and sendings for all of us. Maybe the Lord is not calling you to vocational ministry to be a pastor or a missionary abroad or locally here. Maybe God has called you to be the plumber that you are, the, the, the lawyer that you are, the teacher that you are, the nurse that you are. Maybe God has called you into the work that you're doing. That's okay. But still we say, Lord, would you send me across the office? Send me across the street. Send me across the room. Lord, would you send me wherever you would choose to send me? When our kids are playing baseball or soccer, send me across the field to the other parents there where I can proclaim the gospel to them. See, if you have Christ in you, if you have Christ in you, you will experience this sending where he will be prompting and nudging you. And therefore the prayer that you and I ought to be saying here is, Lord, here I am. Lord, open my mouth that the, your gospel may come through my mouth that many may hear and believe and call on your name. This ought to be the prayer. Now, you may feel like, hey, you know what? I'm so ill-equipped. 
I'm so ill-equipped to do this. I'm so ill-equipped to engage. Well, if that is you, I have two resources. The first would be this. It's a little card that looks like this, and it'll be available in all our campuses, in Surrey, in Mission, and both Central and East Abbotsford campuses, and right here Downs Road. There's a card here that you will find on the carts just on your way out. And this card has a picture, and then at the back it has, um, how do you go? How do you um, equip yourself to go? First, you need to know the gospel. Know the gospel. Second, be in relationship with other people. Just genuine friendships with your neighbors, with people who don't know Christ, with, with, with the dads and the moms who are part, who have brought their, their kids to a sporting activity and you're all there, captive audience. And you're making friends. Just develop relationships with other people. And then finally, you pray and you rely on the Spirit of God to help you. Because the Spirit of God is the one who will help you contend for this faith. And we have various resources in form of books that are already there. So that is one. And then secondly, there's a little book here that was written by one of our pastors, Greg Harris. And Greg is the campus pastor for East Abbotsford Campus. And he wrote this little book called Gospel Conversations, which is very helpful. And Greg wrote this book a number of years ago. It is available for free. You can grab it. Again, it will be on a cart on your way out in all our campuses. The point here being, the point here being, know the gospel. Know the gospel. Be in relationship with others and pray and pray and pray. And rely on the Spirit of God to help you. The tail end of verse 15 will say this. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The image that Paul gets there, he's quoting Isaiah 52, 7. And the image here is this. I'd like you to imagine if we, were, if we here in the lower mainland were fighting against Washington State. And so there were armies, American armies in Seattle who are marching to fight us. And so we have sent our troops to defend this American army that is coming to overrun us. And so our boys have gone and they're in the fight and all that. And so we have this fortified city and we have a tower. On the tower, there's a lookout. There's one person who's standing there, maybe Mark Birch. He's standing there and he's watching the horizon. And so usually in the older times when there was conflict like this, the army that belongs to us would have a runner who's with them. And so the runner would be running back to give news, report as to what's happening on the battlefield. So the lookout would be looking to see if there's a runner coming. Day and night, they'll be always watching the horizon. And so they would see a runner coming and they'll be able to tell by how the runner is running. Is this good news? Or is this bad news? So if the runner is running, oh, that's great news. But if the runner is running, oh my goodness, this is not good news. And so as the runner who's running and coming, man, this looks like good news. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of the one who's bringing good news. So think of it this way. When the runner is running like this, oh, this is bad news, news of calamity. We've, um, we are incurring heavy losses on the front line. Now we are all scared. Or, man, the runner is running. Oh, this is good news of conquest. The enemy has been defeated. They have suffered heavy losses. Or, 
The runner is running, coming and saying, hey, he's bringing good news of clemency because the coming king has said to us, if you bow the knee, I'll extend grace and mercy. If you bow the knee. But if you don't, judgment is coming. See, we are the third runner where we are bringing this good news to say there is a king who will return. And this king will ask you to bow the knee. Bow the knee and plead for clemency, forgiveness of sins, and come and know him. May the Lord help you and I. May the Lord help you and I to be good runners who are bringing good news. We all go. There are those in our midst. God is calling you to be a missionary. If that's you, come and talk to us. God's calling you to plant a church. Come to talk to us. God is calling you to be a local missionary. Come talk to us. But we may go. But God may not necessarily be calling you in a vocational sense, but he's definitely calling you to go across the room, across the road, across the street, next door. God is calling us. May we go. Let us pray. Father, with these few words, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to be a church, a people who go and make disciples of all nations, Father. Even as we partake communion elements in our service, particularly here at the Downs Road campus, Lord, I pray, dear Father, as we hold the elements, may we be reminded of the gospel. And for all our campuses, whether communion is a part of their service this weekend or not, Lord, I pray, would you remind us of the gospel and remind us that we ought to go, that the gospel brings salvation to all people. But for salvation to come, this gospel has got to be proclaimed. So Father, how I pray this day, send us, O oh Lord, here we are, send us. We commend ourselves to you in Jesus' name.